Good morning and welcome again to Sunday morning service. Uh, We are continuing on in our series, Now What? Living After the Resurrection. Today is our last passage in the series. And as we open up God's word today, we're going to be looking at the topic of despair. And that that word sounds uh, big and dramatic, but despair really is this idea of being uncertain about the future. Mm. And it's not it's not like short-term future, it's long-term future. Um, it's it's not having the footing to take the steps ahead and the effect that that has on our life and our heart. Mm. These past couple of weeks, um, I don't know about you, Josh, but for me, it's kind of like uh, settled in. There's been like almost this like nagging feeling that I haven't been able to really put my like finger on just this like impatience that is forming over the longer this goes on and just genuine like irritability that I feel like isn't the norm. And it's like springing up in this, in this time. Uh, this past week I read this article. It says that feeling uh, you are having is called grief. And it was reading this passage, reading this article uh, that really began to help me um, just process through what, what is that deep feeling that, sure. that nagging feeling I'm having inside of me. And uh, this is from da- Dr. David Kessler. He, he says this, he says, we're feeling a number of different griefs during this time. We feel that the world has changed and it has. Uh, we know that this is temporary, but it doesn't feel that way. And we realize things will be different. The loss of normalcy, the loss of uh, the fear of economic to- toll, the loss of connection. Uh, this is hitting us and we're grieving. Uh, collectively, we are not used to this kind of collective grief in the air. And as we navigate this time, uh, as I've talked to some of you throughout the week, I, I sense that, that nagging feeling that we all are carrying. And I think the temptation that we have as we face despair, as we face grief, is that we, we tend to want to numb that feeling. Uh, we don't really want to face it. Instead, we, we want to numb it and kind of distract ourselves uh, from not really focusing on it. And I know uh, in our culture these days, really the easiest way uh, to, to numb that feeling is, is just through entertainment. Uh, it's a common phrase in our, in our culture now, but that Netflix, that binge mode yeah. uh, that we carry, just easy to, I don't want to face these feelings I'm going, I don't want to go into these moments of despair to navigate what, what grief I'm carrying. Instead, I just want to distract myself, sit on the couch, next episode, let's keep going and numb myself. Mm-hmm. It's, but, it's predictable. Yes, yes. But as we look at our, our passage today, we see that that what Jesus is doing is not calling us into this numbing period, but he's really causing us to confront the despair, to confront this grief that we're carrying in a way that calls us deeper into following after him. Yeah. So here's Peter at the end of the gospel of John, and he's asking himself this question now, what he is going fishing. Jesus has already appeared in his resurrection body to the disciples And it seems like they're waiting around. They don't know what's next. And so Peter decides, I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to go back to what I know. And Jesus shows up on the shore um, and meets them again. And I think this passage is just, it it links us in with the disciples again and again, as we've been looking at these passages, uh, because we we know this feeling that they are going Mm -hmm. through. The resurrection has happened. They're living in this resurrection reality, but there's just still so much uncertainty about what is about to happen. And so the disciples, they begin to busy themselves. Uh, We read in verse three, it says, Simon Peter uh, said to, to them, I am going fishing. And then they said to him, we will go with you. And they went, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And as we read this passage, I, 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 
resonate with Peter so much because when we go through times of despair, when we go through times of grief in our lives and and we can put ourselves in Peter's moment, Peter has denied Christ right before Mm -hmm. uh, the crucifixion. He's seen the risen Christ, but he's still navigating this uncertain future. What is his role uh, in in Jesus' kingdom? What is his role in this new world? He's not quite sure. And so instead what he does is he goes back to what his normal life look like. Before Jesus called him three years prior, he was a fisherman. And so he's going back to this routine. Uh, I love how Eugene Peterson, he's, he says, this immersion back into ordinariness, this mm. going back into your ordinary life. This is what's normal. This is what's comfortable for me. Uh, a commentator, Leon Morris, he, he spells out what's happening in this passage this way. He says, it is possible that the thoughts of the fishermen were beginning to turn to their former occupation. Now that they had lost the presence of Jesus, we do not know, and this incident is not enough to tell us explicitly, but all we can say is that this is a possibility and that this, the general impression left is that of men without a purpose. And I think this is the mindset that we are are carrying in this moment when we look out ahead and there's just uncertainty about the future. Uh, What it does in us is it it causes us uh, to kind of live without this purpose. And when we live without a purpose, we we tend to really pivot back into the normal routines of our life. Because when we're unsure of what's happening in the future, we tend to cling to what we know in the present. And I think what despair does is, is it causes causes us in our life to begin to grasp around us and try to grab hold of some sort of identity, an identity to stabilize us in this moment of uncertainty. And I think the two things that uh, despair does is it pushes us into two different numbing agents. One, it can push us into this overworking mentality. Uh, Let's get busy doing the things we know what to do. And if we busy ourselves, if we keep ourselves busy in our work, in our jobs, keeping up with our families, if we keep ourselves busy, we can distract ourselves from that grief from that despair happening in us. Or the second reaction is really just to give up. This moment of giving up, saying, I don't even know what the future holds, so instead I'm not even going to put my foot forward. I'm just going to lay down on the couch and passively let life pass me by. And I think when real moments of grief and uncertainty uh, happen in our lives, it causes us to want to reach into one of these two different areas. Uh, I remember uh, a couple years ago, uh, it was after my dad had passed away, that in that moment of grief, when you can't really name that, that feeling that you have, the, the easy thing to do is just to reach back for what's, what's normal. Mm. I wanted to return to my routine so badly. I wanted to get myself busy working because when I was working, my mind was thinking about the things that were under my control. But mm. when I wasn't working, the uncertainty of everything that was happening began sure. to settle into us. And when we go through these moments that Peter is going through, this moment of questioning who he is, uh, we begin to try to find our identity either in this overwork or this giving up. Uh, but it begins to be an activity that really doesn't produce anything, but causes us to just to waste our time. I love in this passage, Peter goes back to fishing, the thing he knows the best, mm-hmm. and they're toiling all night long. They go out at night. It's the best time to, to catch fish. They're working all night long. And as the morning comes, they have not caught a single thing. Mm-hmm. And the first words of Jesus in this moment come in verse five. He says, children, did you catch anything? Do you have any fish? Yeah. yeah. And Jesus is going to ask a series of questions in, in this uh, passage. Uh, Jesus doesn't ask questions lightly. 
there's always kind of a surface level question, but there's something I think always uh, deep and and to the heart yeah. in Jesus' questions. And so uh, I think Jesus is asking him here, did you find what you're looking for mm-hmm. out there? I know you went out there looking for something. And it's really not fish. It's it's maybe a real sense of normalcy or 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 again numbing, uh, going to that overwork or giving up on their their call and just wondering what do we do now. And Jesus is asking, "Did you find it?" Yeah, and and that is the question we really need to be asking ourselves. You know, as we try to put ourselves uh, in this moment of uncertainty, as we busy ourselves in the moment, as we're grasping for this identity, we need to ask ourselves over and again. Are we finding what we are looking for? Or are we just still aimlessly searching? Uh, And that's the thing about grief. When we have this grief, it sets us onto this uh, uncertain path and and we're unsure of what's going to happen around us. In that article I mentioned at the beginning, uh, Dr. Kessler, he describes this thing. It's called anticipatory grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, He says anticipatory grief is that feeling we get about what the future holds when we're uncertain. And anticipatory grief, what it does in our lives, it, it causes us to be so unsure of what we're anticipating. And so we, be, we tend to fear every possibility that could happen. And so instead of looking forward in the future with hope and with excitement, we look to the future with this uh, fear that, that begins to prop up in us and cause us to be rudderless, cause us to be aimless in our pursuit, cause us mm-hmm. to, to spin our wheels looking for some sort of traction. Uh, I like how author Henry Nouwen puts it. He says, since we are always preparing for eventualities, We seldom fully trust the moment. Our occupations and preoccupations, they fill our external and our our internal lives to the brim. And what they do is they prevent the spirit of God from breathing freely in us and thus renewing our lives. Mm. And I think this is the problem when we try to distract ourselves, when we try to numb ourselves from grief is what we do is we try to busy ourselves in this time and we fill ourselves to the brim. And what it's doing is not creating room in our lives to be able to navigate and search and ask, God, what are you doing in this moment? How are you showing up in this time? Where should I be looking? Where should I be investing my time as I search for you in this present moment? As the future is uncertain, the present moment is a time to begin to open ourselves up to God and say, God, show up in this time, reveal us, reveal yourself to us. And as our story begins to continue to move forward, this is what we see happen. Uh, Peter, uh, they haven't found anyone. They hear this voice from the shore. Did you catch anything? The answer is obviously no. But John looks out at the shore and he says, it it is the Lord. Mm -hmm. And it's from this, this identifying factor from John that Peter is just welled up in this moment he, he's searching for the Lord. That's yeah. what he's out there. He's searching, but he's really searching for the Lord. So he jumps into the water. He swims to the shore. Mm. And when he gets to the shore, it tells us that as he arrives on the beach, there's a fire and there's fish being cooked over the fire. And it says in verse nine, that this is a charcoal fire. And that yeah. phrase in the Bible is only used two times here in this passage and then previously in John 18, that presents us the, the moment where, where Peter uh, denies Christ. And so the yeah. smelling of this fire begins to prompt what happens next for Peter. Yeah, and I cook with charcoal. Uh, I cook with lump charcoal. I'm not talking about uh, like, you know, the little briquettes that you compressed you can buy. I'm talking about like real hardwood uh, lump charcoal. And, and I love cooking with it because it gives this like real strong aroma mm-hmm. and it's 
creates good smoke and it creates a hot fire. Um, and I have to be careful when I'm uh, cooking with it. I, I was I was uh, grilling with it this week, a couple steaks, and um, the aroma of it just is all over your. My, it's in my hair. It's in my clothes. And so I can't I can't just like go back inside after that. I have to be real careful and then I have to like to change clothes. Mm. Um, and so there is in, in some sense here, this is not on, on accident. There is the aroma of what had happened. This is recalling Peter's denial of Jesus. Mm. And here he is, he comes um, and he has this meal with Jesus and Jesus begins to ask him these questions. Um, I want to start reading from um, verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. There's this powerful picture as this uh, aroma of charcoal smoke is filling the air. Jesus feeds them. Um, They they are given this miraculous catch of fish. Again, the sign of what Jesus has done uh, before with them and in their lives he's doing again. Peter doesn't wait a minute to even see the fish. He realizes that out there was not what he was looking for. So before the miraculous catch of fish even comes in, he jumps in and swims to shore. He doesn't wait for the boat to come in. Probably everyone else is dry and Peter is uh, sopping wet and Jesus feeds him and he asks him this question, Peter, do you love me more than these? And most likely he's, he's talking about the, the context of the breakfast, the, the fish, um, and Peter's answering, of course, of course I do. Um, but I think there's something powerful here in that question and in that answer. I think we relate in the same way. When we're faced with these big questions, do you love me, Peter, more than this past occupation, more than fishing, more than this? Peter's answer is clearly, of course, these are small compared to you, Lord Jesus in your resurrection body, uh, all that we've been through, everything, you are more. But he begins to ask him it again and again. I think a lot of times for us, when it comes to following Jesus, the answer for us is, of course I do. But I think it's important we keep asking ourselves that question because the truth is, sure, the, the answer is yes, but do we live like the answer is yes? I think a lot of times... We answer, of course, when it comes to Jesus. But when we look at our time, our priorities, what occupies our mind, what occupies um, the bulk of our, where, where our resources go, all of that, 
we can sometimes be in danger of floundering like Peter and, um, and going the other direction and preserving ourselves and preserving this whole other life that we have in ourselves. And even though our heart says, of course, Jesus is the most important, our lives really are saying something else. And so we ask ourselves that same question. Do we love Jesus? Jesus feeds them. And then we see Jesus calling them and calling Peter specifically to feed his sheep. And I, I, I get this kind of all senses in this picture. And I think it's important because Peter is this, uh, shown as this kind of brave, brash leader. We know he's going to be the leader of the church. And it could be easy for us to say that, that Peter earned that, that leadership, that Peter was just the right guy for the job. He was, he was the bravest. He was the boldest. He was the smartest. He was what a leader looked like. And so Jesus gave him leadership of the church. But I see here with the smell of, of, of shame lingering in this charcoal fire, um, this thick smoke of his betrayal, uh, he, he, that's where he gets the mantle of leadership. Humbly, with no merit, uh, without any power, he's sopping wet sitting there, still full of questions, doubt, and probably shame. Jesus begins to reinstate him and give him this mantle of authority. I think John puts this in the gospel to let people know that, that this was not something that Peter grasped, but this was something that, that Peter accepted humbly and weakly, this mantle of leadership. And there is a repetition three times of this question, do you love me? I think there's this Middle Eastern tradition of, uh, of asking the same question three times. Uh, it's this idea that after three times, you can't refuse. And so John is is putting this in, I think, as well to say that Peter did not grasp this. Peter did not deserve this, that Jesus insisted on this. And there's, um, and there's this, obviously, symmetry that's, that's taking place. Peter denies Jesus three times, yeah. and now Jesus is causing him to affirm his love for him three times, this reinstatement. But I just think there's something so powerful in that, in this part of the section where Jesus has Peter audibly three times say, I love you, Jesus. Yeah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And there's, there's something in us that when we repeat something time after time, uh, the first time we're saying it to convince ourselves, the mm. second time we're doing it to prove ourselves, but that third time we're doing it from our heart saying, of course, yeah. I love you. I do love you. And there's this breakthrough in this moment as Peter repeats this three times as he's navigating this tension mm. that he's carrying in him. And, and it's that third, I love you, that he's expressing, yes, Jesus, yeah. that is who I am. I love you. Yeah. And there is uh, a sense of framing of what it looks like to come back. Mm. There is um, this, this command given after the question to tend and feed the sheep and then to follow him. Um, and that is what the picture of leadership and, and coming after Jesus uh, looks like. Peter denies Jesus to preserve himself, but Jesus is letting him know that even in his returning, here Jesus is in his resurrection power, could do whatever he wants, can frame the world however he wants. He lets him know that preserving yourself, Peter, and following me are not compatible. You're going to be here to serve. 
and ultimately you're going to be here to die. Mm. And so the, the first command that, that, that Jesus uh, gives Peter we see in the Gospels is, come and follow me. Yeah. He sees this fisherman and says, follow me. And here at the end of the Gospel of John, we see this last command that Jesus gives him, follow me. And those are like the book ends for Peter to understand that, that following Jesus is dying to ourselves daily, realigning our heart. And every day, in every situation, we ask ourselves that same question, do I love you, Jesus? Am I following you, Jesus? And it's important. The order is important here. Jesus doesn't uh, feed them and say, go and do this task. Go and take care of my flock. Go and feed my sheep. Go and lead my people. What he does first is ask about Peter's heart. Do you love me? And Jesus knows that out of a true answer and a true heart and true love for the Lord, that those things that he wants Peter to accomplish for his kingdom and for his church are going to happen. And I think that's so contrary sometimes to, to religious practices we get stuck in, where first is the command, go and do this, go and be like this, and then the expectation is your heart to follow. That was my experience growing up in Islam. Just do this. Just pray like this. Just do this. Don't ask any questions. Just do it. And then there was an expectation that later on I would understand these things and that my heart uh, would be into it. Jesus comes and says, I want to make sure your heart's in the right place because I know if your heart's in the right place, that is going to translate to a life that I want. And so the focus here uh, that we ask ourselves and we see in Peter and that Jesus is, is interested in is where is our heart in relation to Jesus? Mm. And as, as Peter is, is finally like getting this moment, it feels like this is where John's gospel should end just right here at this moment. Yeah. But there's just one more part of this story that again reveals uh, really the human side of Peter that we all Definitely. go through uh, in verses 20 through 21. It says, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, who is John following them. And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Mm. And I think when we're, we're still going through those moments of uncertainty about the future, uh, despair and grief that is playing on us, uh, one of the things we, we fall into is this mindset of, of comparison. Yeah. Uh, we hold up other people's situations and other people's scenarios to our own, and we, we, we try to do it either to feel better about our situation or, or to say, what about them? What about them? And I think this is so such a common thing. You know, I have two uh, boys, two sons, and, and when they go head to head, if, if one of them gets in trouble uh, and, and will say, you know, you, you're not allowed to do this, they, mm -hmm. they are allowed to do it, right away the comparison happens. Yeah. What, why not? This is unfair. What about them? What about mm -hmm. that person? And, and so we see Peter really hearing this hard word from, from Jesus uh, about the end of his story. And as he's navigating this Comparison settles in right away. And I think uh, what comparison does in our life when we're going through times of uncertainty is one, it either creates excuses of why we, 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 should, we aren't able to do something. It creates excuses where we try to justify ourselves for our inaction or our, our inability to do something. Or it sets in us these false equivalencies saying, I can never do this. I need more. Yeah. I need something else. And it, and it creates in us this, this inability to move forward in this moment. But we can't sit in comparison. Instead, we need to focus in our present reality and deal with it for what we're going through.
through in this moment. Again, this mindset of anticipatory grief is the mind of the future and imagining the worst case scenario. And so to calm ourselves, we need to focus on our present and and no longer look toward the future with this certainty, but instead look at our present and reconfigure Mm -hmm. it in a way that offers up that disappointment and that grief to God in this moment. I like how uh, a preacher, John Mark Comer, he says it this way. He says, disappointment is an emotional signal from your body that your hope was misplaced. And so when we go through grief, what we need to begin to discover is where we have misplaced our hope and let that lead us into the future. Yeah, and Jesus is speaking to Peter again. He says, listen, there's a time coming where you won't dress yourself. And he, he uses this kind of poetic way of growing up to say, you are going to suffer and die uh, for the glory of God. And in, in some sense, he doesn't give him all the answers, but he says, if, if you're really worried about your future, yeah, know that the disappointment is coming, that grief will come. And that is something that we all understand um, and that Jesus tries to tell his disciples over and over is that trouble will come. Like life is hard. This world is broken. And so you don't have to spend your life worrying about what if, what if, what if. He's saying there, there are things that are going to happen. So be prepared for that, but don't dwell and live in that, in that looming shadow of, of those things. And as he spells out that future, he then points to the present and gives this call to action. All throughout this passage, we we see this call to action and it culminates again in verse 22. uh, Jesus says to Peter, if it is my will that John remains until I come, what is it to you? You follow me. Mm -hmm. And there's this buildup in all of these responses to Jesus. They're all in this imperative verb uh, tense, meaning it's action. It's, It's calling you to do this right now. It's important. Do it right now. He says, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he says, follow me. And this is the culmination of this call, that if we are going to navigate ourselves out of this despair into the future and into a hope that lives in this moment, we are to heed this call simply in our lives, this call to action from Jesus. Don't worry about the future. Don't worry about what other people are going to do. The call on your life is to follow me and let that lead you in this moment. Follow me in this moment. And it's when we heed this call, when we respond, that instead of looking at this uncertainty, we are focused on the newness that comes in following and pursuing after Christ. Uh, Henry Nouwen describes this new hunger that comes in our life. He says, this new hunger is the first sign of God's presence. And when we remain attentive to that divine presence, we will be led always deeper into the kingdom of Christ. There, to our joyful surprise, we will discover that all things are being made new. That we don't have to worry about this uncertainty. We don't have to live in despair. We don't have to carry our grief in the same way. But when we offer it up to Christ, we begin to discover that he is leading us to something new. And it's better than we could have created or imagined on our own. And so these words are preserved. This imperative command is preserved for us as well. God's will is for you to follow him. The gospel of John concludes with, with John speaking to us and saying, this is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that this testimony is true. And he goes on to say, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. 
John is saying Jesus has gone to great lengths for you and he's done so much for us so that we would follow him. And he says, the testimony that I've been trying to give you is true. I go back again. These are bookends to, to John 1. And, and this is the testimony that is true. He uses that word true at the beginning too. The true light, John chapter 1 verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And so uh, we say to you today, do you recognize your savior? He has come for you. Um, he is entering your life. He is standing at the shore of your despair. And he has a future, a hope, and a purpose for you. Greater than the despair of this life. And, and the question is uh, that he's asking, just like he asked Peter, is, are you finding what you're looking for out there? Because I know the answer. We all have to wrestle that question. And the truth is, no. We can only find that light of true life in him. And so I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. I, I, I want to call you today to follow Jesus, to follow after him, to build a love for him in your life that leads to, to uh, this, this, this full and abundant life. And, and to those out there who um, are believers, uh, who say, I am following Jesus. I do love you, Lord. I want you um, to ask yourself the question, that Jesus asks Peter, do you love me more than these? Ask that question over every part of your life because my guess is your first answer is of course. But would you search your life and say, during this time where our life is just in upheaval, search your life and say, Jesus, am I living my life like I love you more than all these things? Um, our prayer for you is that uh, you would awaken during this time, that this would not be a time of, of slumber or, 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 or just holding or just uh, passively um, going by, you know, watching Netflix during this time, but that God would do something in you and your life and in the lives of the people around you during this time. Um, we're getting ready to sing a song of response. Uh, I pray that you would wrestle with these heavy but wonderful things. Pray with me. King Jesus, we come before you, God. We recognize that we have everything we need in you. And so, God, I pray that you would uh, work in the hearts and minds of all those who are listening today, God. I pray, God, that you would reveal yourself to them, God. And I pray, God, that you would call them to walk on the journey uh, of faith that you call each one of us to, God. Lord Jesus, would you speak to them by the power of your Holy Spirit, God. And would you uh, bring comfort and peace uh, where there has been uh, despair and loneliness. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.